0: Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, and welcome to episode one oh eight of the Dis Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and is historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host producer and good friend Craig Williams Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great how are you Michael <laughs> I'm doing well thank you so so i I posted this on Facebook and I think I posted it on our connecting well Twitter um, page I uh, sadly one of our local record chains is finally going out of business. Um, be, mainly, uh, well, there's a variety of reasons. Some um, has to do, well, well anyway, the, one of the reasons is because uh, the people aren't making albums anymore. They're all, you know, going, it's all going on, you know, the Spotify and, you know, all these other, they're all streaming them. So, they don't have a lot to sell <laughs> and all that. And so, and then the, the family's retiring and stuff. Yeah. So, I went in to see what's on sale. And it, it was funny, my daughter and I went and she was up for the Fourth of July weekend. And I came across it, it was just like it was sitting on top of all the CDs in, as I walked past the children's section. And it was this two CD set called Fascinating Walt Disney. And I thought, okay, I clearly somebody set this out because they knew I was walking by. So, so I bought it, and then when I was driving down to the Walt Disney Family Museum last week, I uh, was listening to it, and it wasn't bad. It was it was interesting. It, it, it was a nice narration. Apparently, this person uh, did did a number of these. He did. Uh, he did a, a recording on the history of Hollywood and stuff and somebody uh posted on Facebook that he was familiar with the person that the, the Walt Disney one was a labor of love and the person passed away relatively young at the age of fifty three. So um so it was interesting. It was interesting I, I was fascinated by how he wrote the script because he didn't do it linear as, you know, as we tend to approach it on the show. The history segments because we do it everything in series. He jumped back and forth a bit and a lot, Mm -hmm. and some of it worked for me, and some of it, um, I don't know. There were a couple times I forgot. Okay, where are we now?
1: Yeah.
0: Why did we go back? And so, um, but it was it was good. It was really interesting. There were, I I think he had to take uh, uh, some literary license. Just for storytelling purposes, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. And and then some some of our followers then looked it up, and it's apparently it's on Spotify. So if folks want to download this, this is like a, a nice little uh, Walt Disney one hundred and one kind of thing. Uh, it doesn't. You may not get a whole lot of new. not, not probably won't get a lot of new knowledge out of him. But about him out of it, but it was fun just for you know uh, an hour and a half, um, you know, listening to it as I was driving. So, yeah, um, I, so I, I was happy.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say I had a, a fun find at my my record shop as well too. So uh, I thought that I did well this past record store day because I had no issues picking up uh, the the two of the the disney releases that came out uh, this year for the first one it was mickey mouse disco and there's still plenty of I copies saw left
0: that um
1: that that was there and i got that with no issues at all and then the other release that i was able to get uh, was the louis armstrong uh, satchmo songs the disney way or Disney songs, <laughs> away. Mm-hmm. that was way backwards. I, uh, but the one thing I wasn't able to get was the, the Sherman brothers vinyl that uh, was kind of just a, a yeah. small version of the, the CD that they released a little while back. And uh, mm-hmm. I, after waiting and waiting and patiently waiting, finally they, I don't know if they just found an extra copy or, or what if they got one in randomly like I, I genuinely don't know how, but uh, a, a copy of that finally dropped into my record shop, so I I got all three releases now from uh, April 2019 record day, record store day. So oh, that's great! I'm very happy. I haven't cracked it open yet to listen to it, but um, I'm excited. You know, it's it's just got a small selection. Like it opens up with Tall Paul, but then. You know, to to have tiki, tiki, tiki room on it and it's a small world, uh, feed the birds. Like it's a lot of these ones I, you know, I have on vinyl in other ways, but for me, I, I, there's nothing I love more than, than just opening up a brand new record. I, I know a lot of people Mm -hmm. swear by, by, buying vintage and only buying used records and and they want the the warmth that you get from the past and and then the story that comes along with it and i know this sounds way over dramatic when we're just talking about vinyl the pe- but people are that way with people are that way with used books yeah too it, it, that's they like that yeah that, that's a good good example on that too but for me i'm i'm a brat in that way like i want the brand new copies that i want to be the first one to play and i i know eventually i will pass down my records then and then uh whoever i pass them on to whether it's my children that don't exist as of this current moment or or someone else i want them to be forced with uh forced with the fact that they have to they have to take care of all of my pristine records because, you know, I I inherited many of my parents' records, and the one thing that drives me nuts is is you can tell that that was the number one format for them when when they were in their teens and and even earlier because it's it, writing all over the 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 sleeves and you know putting their initials on them what year they had it in some cases for some reason you know scratches galore all over it like it 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 offends me almost i i love my parents to death but uh the the fact that they just couldn't keep care of uh, take care and keep keep their vinyl up in good condition just drives me nuts but uh but yeah, mine's mine's perfect. I love new ones. I cannot wait to listen to that. I've I, I usually have great luck with Record Store Day. I almost get everything I always want. There's only one one record that still eludes me from it and that's the Emmett Otter jug band Christmas soundtrack. Oh that yeah. I will find one day. Even if I mean it's on I, eBay every now and then for like a hundred bucks, but I I don't know. I don't know.
0: I always have rough luck at Record Store Day, and now, of course, there's no, there's not going to be a record store in our town yeah. next Record Store Day. But I didn't even bother to go to the last one because the way they did it here, and one, and this, the owner of this chain was one of the founders of Record Store Day. Uh, it was they would just have things in bins, just. Haphazardly, and it was a madhouse. People just going through them and through them and through them, and once in a while you'd find someone that would be nice, and you could you tell them what you're looking for. They'd tell you what you you know they're looking for, and you'd watch out for each other. But most people, it was just every man for himself. You know. Yeah, it's um, uh, ours. We
1: usually our problem is that we always would have a big line like uh, this. Past year for the the one actually it wasn't this past so it wouldn't have been the April one, it would have been the the November twenty the November one, whatever twenty eighteen. That's that year that came before this one. Uh like when I tried to get the Emmett Otter album. I mean, I showed up at I showed up an hour before the record store opened and mm-hmm. I still wasn't in time. And there was only there was maybe only 30 or 40 people in front of me in line and i guess they got like five copies of it and with with some of those releases Mm -hmm. i think people know like how limited they are and of course it doesn't they just want it to flip and i it it drives me nuts so that's what that's my problem with our record store it's like I, i really have to camp out if i I really want to know i'm getting the, the ones that i want but it's you know i i love that disney gets involved in it because yeah they don't have to but but they choose to kind of rehash some of these uh, older records or records that that come from new albums that they just feel like would translate well onto vinyl and it's there hasn't been one yet that i've i've been disappointed in
0: Yeah, I've been fourth in line at record store day at hours because, yeah, I would have to camp out early and still didn't get all the records I wanted. So Anyway, oh, well, it's just it's just the luck of the draw. Mm -hmm. But um, so, oh, I've gotten, you know, um, since we've been talking a lot about the theme parks lately, on the show, and I keep referring to the 60 Years of Disneyland series on our classic Disneyland show where it started. I've gotten a few um, either, you know, messages of folks asking, how do I find that series, 60 Years of Disneyland? So I was wondering if you could let folks know, Craig, how they can find it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's a very complicated process. First, you have to go onto Google and you have to type in. Diz. you have to
0: go to record store today. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you have to. You can only get it twice a year, uh, so make sure to bring a big hard drive. Uh, now go to Google and type in "Diz Unplugged: colon, Connecting with Walt." No, that's that's all a lie. I, you won't find anything that day. So it's super simple and super easy. Uh, every single week, we that we have a show, we. We end up posting our show notes, which is at disunplugged.com, Dizunplugged.com. You can even find us by going, if you're on uh, our website, the Diz, uh, I believe somewhere up there, there's a tab for podcast. If you're on disneyinfo.com, you'll easily be able to, to navigate over to disunplugged.com, but super simple, super easy to find. And from that point, uh, you'll get to our homepage. If you scroll down to where there is Connecting with Walt, the, our, our artwork that you would see on on anywhere you, you find our show. Uh, you click that button. It will give an entire list of all of the shows that we have done and we have show notes for. And click on any single one of them because there is uh, one basis that is the same every single week. And that is, uh, that is the place where you can listen to our show as well as – Links to any books that were used in the discussion or anything like that, mm-hmm. uh, our social media, and then also a nice little bold uh, bold uh, link that says Michael's Disneyland History Episodes or Michael's Disneyland History Archives. I, I can't remember the exact wording on it, but it it's – it is one of the two of those uh, very easy to spot right there in the middle there's not a ton of links in our show notes so uh, it's very very simple to navigate you click on that it's going to take you to disboards.com and there is a great thread that was started up uh, that literally has all of all of the important uh, Disneyland history episodes that Michael recorded and uh, the ones that were like for the 60 years of Disneyland those ones are all sp- really nice and specially marked and actually uh actually say you know Disneyland at 60 on them so that way you know which ones were a part of that series so very very simple uh to figure out and you know going back to the joking if you really wanted to make it complicated on yourself go to Google and search Disneyland at 60 Mm-hmm. Disunplugged, and you're gonna you're gonna get links to all of the show notes page from where Tom posted them. But in uh, the other nice part is it's it's a work in progress that we haven't really done in a while because we tend to only do it on weeks when we don't record. Uh, but we are slowly trying to add back in a lot of the archival episodes that Michael uh, did, the ones from the the old Disneyland Edition podcast. So. Make sure that uh, you know you, you always keep an eye on our feed and, and watch what's being downloaded from it because every now and then you might notice uh, that there will be an episode that goes along because uh, it's mm-hmm. – uh, again, we haven't done it in a very, very long time. But uh, let's say it's not an episode that we want to like reintroduce and stuff and give the context behind and use as a placeholder. Uh, that's not to say that we won't just literally copy over the – the episode itself so so you can have it if it pertains to something else that we recorded so uh, plenty of ways to get it potentially more in the future uh, but one thing for sure is definitely take the time to to listen to them because they're awesome just if you like what's on this show you're gonna love those
0: okay great thank you okay and i hope you all I hope you all enjoy it And, uh, uh, you know, I have not seen um, Spider-Man Far From Home yet. I'm one of the few that have not. I'm going to. I just haven't had the time. But I was sort of vegging out Saturday night, I think, after I got home from the Walt Disney Family Museum because I was wiped out. And I just started sort of surfing Netflix. And I came across Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I think that's what it was called. The, the nice. animated film. And I I loved it. I never saw it in a the theater. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I liked... The animation was really interesting. It's, and uh, Yeah, it, it's good stuff. Uh, the animation
1: is... Uh-huh. I, I will be honest with it. I, I don't believe I've talked about my feelings on it too thoroughly anywhere. But uh, I... My big problem was I – if you went to see Venom in theaters, the end credit sequence of that kind of goofy, pretty bad movie, uh, it featured like 10 minutes of Into the Spider-Verse and not like the first 10 Mm -hmm. minutes. uh, It picked up revealing that a certain character may or may not have perished. And so I
0: felt like – They did that in – they – you're kidding yes what what were they thinking
1: no idea i never saw
0: venom so
1: yeah and so because of that uh it when i went to see it in theaters it was like i knew because to get to that point with the clip that they showed you know we're talking 15 20 minutes into the movie to get to that point so like it it was a two-hour movie but when i kind of had the first 30 minutes of the entire movie blocked out for me and then kind of figured out where the next 30 minutes or so was going. It just, it felt like it drug along for the first little part for me. And, but then I, once it got to the back half and basically once every, all the characters unite at, uh, unite together in the house and Mm -hmm. they they go from there, I, I think then it is, it is, beyond brilliant uh they they do things because of the animated format that that no other superhero movie has accomplished they use they use the fact that it's animated to their benefit and that's what drives me nuts about some of the other superhero movies is you know it's it's a world of cgi you can do anything with that uh in like big hero six when that came out i loved big hero six but it still felt like they were very tame with with it. The fact that it was a superhero movie, uh, in some regards, Spider Man into the Spider Verse did not hold back at all when it came to it. It went all out, and and the the, the I, I will say as much as I appreciate the animation with it in terms of the visual look. I was one of the people who was who was kind of it hurt my it hurt my eyes a little bit not so much watching at home but in the theaters it was really bad i got a headache from it because they've explained in like the special features that uh miles has a different appearance to him in terms of the way he moves and stuff it's a lot more choppy and that's because he while he's still uh while he's still going through his phase of learning to become spider-man and growing up and growing forward all of the animation on his character is done at 12 frames per second uh kind of like classic standard animation but then the background scenes and and other characters are shot in 24 so there's that and as he gets progresses on you know it it becomes a clearer a clearer uh shift in his character as well too so for the first parts of the movie it to me it was like it kind of hurt a little bit because it does feel choppy in a
0: way and i was wondering why sometimes it seemed out of focus yeah stuff too and um okay that makes sense now so and so anyway so yeah, if folks didn't see spy- this Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse because it was animated, I'd say definitely check it out, especially now that it's on Netflix and you know, all that. If you have Netflix, i definitely recommend it. So, And then a film that's coming up, of course, it's, it's The King, <laughs> The Lion King. Um, you know, I have not bought my ticket for it. I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't oh. know if I'm on remake Burnout. Or it's like, you know, I know the story. I think visually everything I see looks stunning, except um, there are times in the clips I'm trying to think, are these animals moving their mouths? um, Mm -hmm. I mean, when they're talking. I I don't know. I am not the least bit excited about this film. And I know it's going to do well. But I just don't feel compelled to see it right Mm
1: -hmm. now.
2: That's. So, it, um,
1: I mean, I, I actually understand that, and it's you know, the initial reviews and stuff for it aren't aren't that great in terms of the critics. But obviously, we've seen before. It doesn't really matter what critics say. It's it's about what the audience wants from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I mean, I have my tickets. I've had them for a while because I talked about it before. I mean, the the Lion King is my Renaissance film. That's the one that mm-hmm. that connected with me, and I. I will never not forget being in the room when Jon Favreau showed off the first clip at the D23 Expo of the entire Circle of Life sequence. And that just, that blew me away that day. And it's, you know, between reading what people have to say about it, the complaints that uh, the characters feel soulless in a way, and it, they took, they stripped away all of the color In it and really made it a bland palette. Uh, You know, all all of that combined. It's plus then listening to the soundtrack and not being overly impressed with it. uh, It's it's definitely, I think it's managed my expectations going into it. But Mm -hmm. it's it's something still that I I'm I'm excited for because I feel like even if it is a shot for shot remake in terms of the fact that they're not adding anything new to the story and they're not they're not replacing anything differently at least it's at least it's done with some thought in my Mm -hmm. opinion from just from what i know about it and in the passion that john favreau has brought to to bringing it to life um i don't feel like he's making it just just for the sake of technology and making it I, i feel like i feel like he's he's definitely he's got other purposes behind it and that that still is driving it forward for me but uh, you know good or bad I I have wasted many more hours in far worse movies than I can imagine what Lion King will be oh, if yeah. it's bad
0: and I, I'm definitely going to see it it's just I don't know I, I think I had a turning point with Dumbo the remake of Dumbo in that I just suddenly really lost my enthusiasm for these remakes. And, um, like, I didn't even buy the Dumbo Blu-ray. And, you know, I don't know if I'll buy the Aladdin one. And I just thought, I'm tired of them. I really am. <laughs> I don't know. So um, Oh, yeah, no, it's... It,
1: uh, I, I, I don't need them. If they decided to end this initiative tomorrow uh, there's no there's nothing lost on me there it's i i could yeah. i could give it or take it but you know i that's the that's the other part of it too is that disney knows there's many people out there who will just see it regardless of the fact or regardless of the fact whether it's good or bad just because it has the name on it the disney name and unfortunately that's the camp that i fall into and
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's a terrible place to be sometimes
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and but you know they showed the teaser trailer for mulan looked gorgeous absolutely gorgeous and now that one intrigues me because also apparently they are changing up the story a bit and i thought okay maybe they're going to tell a bit of a different story so there's a purpose for making this film so, yeah, and that's um,
1: I. I yeah. am not trying to be mean. I know there's many Mulan fans out there. That's one movie that I've never been a fan of. Like I, I own it, mm-hmm. just because I, I'm trying to own all of the Disney movies that I can. Uh, I, I enjoy having it a part of my collection, but it's not. It's not something that I ever yeah. sit back and I'm like, you know what would really make my night if I can watch Mulan. I. I've watched it through once, and I think the last time I tried to get through it, I only made halfway through. I just don't care for it as an animated movie. So I am excited and hope that that with the changes they're making and in the, in bringing it to live action, that they're actually going to improve upon it in that way. Because ultimately, like we've talked about before on this, uh, these remakes shouldn't be happening unless – they think they can improve upon what was already happening, or if they feel like they have a new story to tell, and a lot of them haven't. So when you don't have a new story to tell, or it's not a good new story, you really have to you have to come through in terms of the in terms of the how can you make it look better? How can you how can you utilize the change from animation to live action? And in Mulan, I, I feel like I feel like that it, it probably will not end up being a, a billion dollar hit or anything, but I think it might end up being one of those movies that is revered and not seen as much, mm-hmm. kind of like a Pete's Dragon in that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I did like the the animated Mulan, but. Uh, eddie murphy drove me nuts his mushu I, I i just found him annoying yeah. and um yeah. mm-hmm. oh and mulan 2 electric boogaloo is <laughs> just dreadful dreadful and and i had the misfortune of watching it on the bus right after we had walked on the great wall <laughs> and I thought, oh dear lord we've gone from a high to a low who made that choice <laughs> Um, it was John. Our wasn't ABD it? guide. No, it was John. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it
1: was John. He said, "You know what? <laughs> I know we could watch Mulan, but instead we're going to watch Mulan 2, the search for more money."
0: Mm. Yeah, it was bad. It was a really bad. There was nothing redeeming about it at all. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so, but so yep. So when we've both seen The Lion King, and when I've seen Spider Man, we'll have to talk more about it. Yeah. Folks who have been listening to the show know that Craig and I have been running a series on the life and career of Mickey Mouse. I've also reported on the wonderful exhibition "Mickey Mouse from Walt to the World" at the Walt Disney Family Museum that's running from now through January sixth, twenty twenty. Where honored to have the guest curator of that exhibition with us today. Disney animator Andreas Deja. Of course, we all know Andreas through his artistry of creating many of our favorite Disney characters, including Roger Rabbit, Gaston and Beauty and the Beast, Jafar in Aladdin, Scar in The Lion King, King Triton in The Little Mermaid, Lilo, Mama Odie in Princess and the Frog, one of my very favorite films, and he is a specialist for the animation of Mickey Mouse. Andreas is also the author of the books The Nine Old Men, Lessons, Techniques, and Inspiration from Disney's great animators, and Mickey Mouse from walt to the world which is the catalog of the exhibition in 2006 andreas received the Windsor mckay award for outstanding contribution to the art of animation and was honored as a disney legend in 2015 so andreas thank you for joining us on connecting with walt and welcome thank you for having me guys thanks oh our pleasure Now, the exhibition, Mickey Mouse and Malt to the World, is part of the celebration of Mickey's Mickey's 90th anniversary. And I remember you telling a story that your relationship with Mickey started when you were a boy, and you saw a magazine celebrating Mickey's 40th birthday. Can you you share that story with our listeners?
2: Yeah, yeah. so I was a, I was a kid, young teenager then. And uh, my God, it's 50 years ago <laughs> that we're talking about. And uh, I just passed by our our local newsstand there in Germany where I grew up. And there was this, I remember it was just a red cover, Mickey Mouse magazine. And it had this big, iconic face of Mickey, really big on the front. And it says, Mickey is 40 years old. So, so of course, I bought it. And then inside were like comic strip versions of uh, some of his short films that he had been in over the decades. So I really, really treasured that.
0: Mm-hmm. Do, do you remember the first time you saw a Mickey Mouse cartoon?
2: Oh, gosh, very, very well. Um So this was uh actually before then, before what I was just talking about, about the Mickey 40th birthday. Um I remember, gosh, I think I was maybe about seven... Years old, or something like that, and we had a black and white TV in those days, um, uh, over in Germany. And, and they had um, one of the uh, Walt Disney's wonderful world of color uh, uh, episodes, uh, was on, and Walt was speaking German fluently in the, in those shows. And <laughs> and I remember Walt was introducing a Mickey Mouse short, and I, I found out years later that the Mickey Mouse short is uh, uh. Uh, Pluto's um, Magical Lamp I think was the name of the uh, short film mm-hmm. um, No, it was actually Pluto's Dreamhouse It was Pluto's Dreamhouse, sorry And I just remember looking at the screen And the roundness of the character And how Mickey was moving And I i just never seen anything like it So I was mesmerized And fascinated with the Appearance of Mickey And the way he moved like from, from day one Mm-hmm
0: and were you already interested in drawing at that young
2: age? I was. I can't remember actually a day where I wasn't interested in drawing. So this goes all the way back to kin- kindergarten and maybe even younger. So I always had a, uh, a, a kind of a thirst for for looking at pictures and then drawing pictures. I mean that 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 just goes way way back. So so yeah. I um, and then Mickey Mouse and other Disney characters kind of. Uh, took that to the next level where I really wanted to learn how you can do this type of animation, you know, beyond just liking it. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, yeah, I mean, Vicky was a huge factor of my my childhood that way.
0: And I know you had once told the story that you, uh, that The Jungle Book, Walt's last animated film that he worked on, inspired you to want to become a Disney animator. So what was it about that particular film that sparked this flame within you?
2: Well, the the main reason really was that uh, this was the first Disney film I ever saw, the first Disney feature film. So it could have been Peter Pan, it could have been 101 Dimension, but it happened to be Jungle Book. And my head was spinning. Uh, I remember just wanting to watch it again and again, and my mom was saying, well, dear, you just saw yesterday. I said, can you please give me a little little money? I want to see it again. You just wanted to go back into that jungle and be with all those great characters. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I saw it over and over again, and um, I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be fun to find out, you know, how they do these things, and, uh, and maybe sometime I could be a part of it. So, it took me about a year to muster up some courage, and with the help of an English teacher, um, uh, we put some questions together, like, how can I sometime, or how can I train myself here? What should I do to maybe sometime work for the studio? And mm-hmm. wouldn't you know... About three weeks later, I got a letter back from Walt Disney Productions, Burbank. And they answered all those letters. And the main advice they gave me in that letter was, um, they said, look, if you're seriously interested in the kind of animation that we are doing here, then please don't send us any, any copies of Mickey Mouse, Pluto, or Donald Duck, because we can teach you that later. You, know, you have to become an artist on your own right first. Meaning, go to art school, learn to draw the human figure, go to the zoo, draw the animals a lot, observe them and draw them a lot, and basically show us how you see the world and then show us that kind of work. So I, I, I took that really seriously. It was kind of driven actually throughout my childhood and teenage years and um, took life drawing classes, went to art school, and um, it was, I think I had about a year left of my four year studies at my art school. And, um, I had heard at that time, so we're, we're talking around 1979. I had heard that Disney Studios actually had a training program that was headed up by one of the nine old men, Eric Larson. So I thought, well, I have to find out about this training program, obviously. <laughs> so I wrote to Eric personally, and then he sent me a letter back and informed me, uh, about, uh, just about the program and how it's structured. And, um, so I had a nice exchange of letters with Eric, and I, eventually I sent him some, some copies of my work, some of my life drawings, animal drawings. And wouldn't you know, he wrote back, and he said, I think you've got what it takes. Why don't you finish school and then come on over here and we take you into the training program? And that's how I got started there.
1: Beyond, uh, beyond that, were there also any other like German animations or any, anything that came uh, native from where you were growing up that was also an inspiration beyond Disney?
2: Yeah, I mean I like basically anything that was that was animated. We had a, we we had the Flintstones, which also com- came came from the U- US of course. We had some Eastern European animation. There were some simple limited animated T V shows. I remember Lollik and Bolek were two uh brothers, I think. That was done in Poland, so we had that T V show. We had all kinds of stuff and um but there was something something about the Disney stuff that just was just glowing to me it was it was really alive i mean the characters seemed to be inhaling and exhaling and taking in air and thinking and moving and making decisions and the other ones didn't do that so i gravitated heavily toward me but i mean you have to imagine the, the whole idea to leave germany leave my family my friends and go to america and work for Walt Disney Studios seemed absolutely insane. And everybody told me that. They said they said, sure you will. Sure you go to America. <laughs> Good luck with that, you know. And but there was something <laughs> about me that uh, thought, well, they're probably right. It is a little it is it is just too crazy. But I won't know unless I try. So I again I took all this advice that they gave me about drawing and about becoming an artist. I took that very, very seriously and um just uh, stayed with it. And uh, so it wasn't really a phase of so me. I took that seriously for, for years and years. And then uh, it just worked out for me. And, I'm, and I I recall I had a one-way ticket to LA and my mm-hmm. mom was like, so I thought you were going to do this as a, as a, as a hobby, you know, be an art teacher at school and be employed by the government and have a solid job and have benefits. But you can't go to America and draw cartoons. I said, well, mom, I said, if it doesn't work out, I can always come back. This is only a training program. But that turned into 31 years there at Disney. So it did work out.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so. Now, s- several of the nine old men drew Mickey and they added their own touch to Mickey. And, but many characters who were popular during Mickey's early years, like Felix the Cat, Betty Boop, Crazy Cat, they're now footnotes in animation history. So so what do you believe has enabled Mickey Mouse to continue to be popular? And he's loved by every new generation.
2: I think it was just the the personality, the the thoroughly analyzed personality that Walt Disney gave him, Uh, starting, of course, uh, giving him his voice first because Walt voiced the character all the way up until the mid-50s. Um, so it's just a really consistent personality. It's not just, uh, characters who go through a bunch of gags and make people laugh for the time being. But Mickey is, is somebody who, um, who wins out in, in the end because he's smart. He figures things out and he's clever and pe- people mm-hmm. like that. And the situations that they put Mickey in were really interesting. And, uh, um, of course, it, it went on and on, on and on in Mickey's case, and there, there was merchandise everywhere. And then there was the Mickey Mouse Club on television, and then the theme parks opened. So you, you see Mickey in theme parks, so he, be, he became this worldwide ambassador for Goodwill, and um, is to this day really. Yeah, and
0: then also, it, I think it also goes back to that visual appeal you were talking about when you were seven years old, and that you talked about his um, roundness. And um softness too the in the way he's depicted
2: right uh, there is there was a study made um i want to say about maybe fifteen years ago or somewhere in there where where people or researchers uh put um certain toys in front of toddlers, babies, and they they they, they would study the, the baby's reaction. So they would have uh, all kinds of plush toys and different styles of uh, uh, animals and toys and things. And then they had Mickey Mouse. So guess what? All babies gravitated toward Mickey Mouse. They wanted to interact with that toy and touch that toy. And I think, I I, I still think it has to do with the simplicities of Mickey's face. You know, you have one circle for for the for the head you have two smaller circles for the ears you have sort of an oval for the nose everything is round and pleasing and i think that really uh, appeals to infants visually
0: mm-hmm.
2: and adults <laughs> and adults
0: <laughs> yeah <that's
2: right. laughs> we also that's... gravitate
0: don't we <laughs> that's right we do we do and and you make it sound so simple that oh just draw a few circles and you have mickey but it's it's not simple. <laughs>
2: so. Well, it it, it it depends on how far you want to take it. I mean, mm-hmm. any any kid can draw three circles and mm-hmm. maybe give it two eyes, and that already looks like Mickey Mouse. So, the main graphic symbol of Mickey Mouse is extremely simple. But if you want to animate him and want to maybe maybe come up to a standard or close to what these animators did way back in the '30s and '40s, well, then you have to do first some some homework and. Uh, in my case, uh, I had a chance to go to the Animation Research Library, which is a place where Disney keeps all of their scenes, all of their drawings. They have like millions and millions and millions of uh, sheets of paper there. And uh, But you you can go in and you can check out a certain scene, from, like let's say the Brave Little Taylor or the Nifty Nineties, or one of those classic shorts, and really see how Freddie Moore or what Kimball animated a particular scene where Mickey is dancing or Mickey is hopping or gesturing or mm-hmm. those great acting scenes in the Little Taylor that Frank Thomas did. Um, so I was actually able to hold those scenes and flip them and really see what they did and how much they squashed and stretched Mickey's body, how they articulated Mickey's hands. And then, and then those, those fun graphic sheets uh, uh, that go along with Mickey and the drawing and animating mm-hmm. Mickey, um, because his his ears they they stay round at, at at all times. They never change in perspective, defying all laws of perspective that way. They 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 just slide up and down his head, and then uh, his nose too. His nose has a sort of a, a horizontal shape when he's looking at you, and then it becomes more turning upward when he turns into, into profile. And all of this stuff shouldn't work, but it does. And it it's just assures that he looks appealing from any um, angle, even if though the design concept changes slightly. These are things you need to know so you can apply them in your own work.
0: Mm-hmm. And what is interesting about the... Uh, Exhibition that I really enjoyed is so many so much of the artwork that's displayed, their pencil tests, their sketches by Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnson, Freddie Moore, so you could really study how th- the, the, their whole creative process and their whole sketching process. And you don't see a lot of that uh, artwork in a typical um, Disney art exhibition.
2: You don't, and um, one of the reasons is uh, when you just mentioned all those names, those animators, uh, you really can only study the individual style when you have their own drawings in front of you because these drawings are loose and rough, and they were later on always redrawn by the cleanup department who would, who would take a sheet of paper on top of that loose drawing and put a fine line around the character and make sure... The line is very thin at all times, and those are called cleanups. And you can't, and then they, they lose a little bit um, some of the animator's personality because everybody has their own little uh, uh, way that they draw in terms of uh, the way they use the pencil, the kind of looseness, and all that. But when you do see a Frank Thomas rough and a Ward Kimball rough. Uh, they look different from, from each each other, you know. And it, to me it's just fun to study this because it, it also shows me where they struggled, where they erased something over and over again until they got it right, you know. Because it makes them human to me, you know, to, to know that they also made mistakes and they had to redo a section or had to redraw something. Um, so it just became a really fun study for me over the years to have all this mm-hmm. Disney archive available and uh, study all that. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so Okay, if if somebody just holds up a sketch of Mickey, are you able to tell? Okay, that's that's Freddie Moore. That's Frank Thomas. Wow, that's good.
2: I I actually <laughs> actually just perfect. I actually just uh, purchased uh, some f- uh, Freddie Moore ruffs from the Sorcerer's Apprentice, and even though at that particular auction. Uh, in the description, they had no idea who drew these. I I could tell those are Freddie Moore drawings because I know the way he draws hands. I know that he does little side circles sometimes to get ready for the next line. You know, I did, this is a certain style and a vitality in Freddie Moore's work that um, the others don't, don't have. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would be able to, to do that.
0: That's That's impressive. Now, how did you become the guest curator of the Mickey Mouse exhibition at the Walt Disney Family Museum?
2: Well, that's an interesting story that goes back a few years. I don't remember the exact year, and you guys might know this. When um, they unveiled uh, the Walt Disney uh, statue at, uh, at California Adventure, you know, they have the, the younger Walt Disney, they holding oh. Mickey Mouse's hands.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, near the Carthage Circle. See.
2: At the Carthage mm-hmm. Circle, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I was a little bit involved uh, in creating that sculpture. I didn't sculpt it, of course, but the sculpture had a little bit of a trouble depicting Mickey and the way he looked like in the late twenties. Um, you know, so I I uh, gave him some some tips in terms of how thick, how thin the arm should be, how. The hands were depicted, and then so he went with that. And for that reason, they invited me for the private unveiling of the statue, which which was for the Disney Miller family. So Diane Disney was uh, there, uh, some of her children and grandchildren, and there was little old me. And uh, after about an hour uh, of looking at at the statue and making comments, uh, Diane took me aside and she said, um, hey, I I heard you have sort of a affinity for Mickey Mouse, and I said, yes, and she said, well, uh, the museum, um, one of these years is going to do a big exhibition on Mickey Mouse, and I want you to get involved, and I said, okay, I can certainly loan out a few vintage drawings that I have and things like that, and she said, no, 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 I want you to get involved, and I didn't know until later that she really wanted me to take this on as a project and curate it, so years later, here we are. Show mm-hmm. up and running that's how that all happened
0: what goes into p- preparing i mean you a, a, an exhibition like this because I've always been curious about that I mean how you basically have a blank slate you have an empty room how, how do you just go about getting started especially when you have so much material you can draw from
2: yeah, and the first thing I did is take a sheet of paper and didn't didn't draw, but wrote down. All the areas that I wanted to cover uh, that had to do with the world of Mickey Mouse. So, of course, you start out with his black and white films, starting with Steamboat Willie. You want to feature those films and the artists who were involved in that. Abai works, Les Clark, and then, of course, Walt. And then uh, getting into color films, uh, even though he was in a a few features, but his stories were always told in sort of a short Formed. They were maybe 20 minutes long, like in Fun and Fancy Free, you know, Mickey and the Beanstalk and so forth. Um, then you think about other areas. You think about the Mickey Mouse Club during the 50s and what a phenomenon that was on TV. That had to be covered. We had to cover Mickey merchandise and that really fun, old merchandise, especially um, during the 30s and 40s. Mickey toys. Mickey um, toys. Mickey in the theme parks because he changed a lot over the decades there as well. And his first uh, uh, walk-around walk costume looked a little spooky. It was a little yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a little scary. <laughs> he was a little scary. There's that one picture in the exhibition where I don't know if it was opening day, it might have been, but uh, that first Mickey and Minnie were shaking the hand off the yes. toilet seems to be a little petrified. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the, the faces were really didn't have the, the charm yet that the, that the drawings of Mickey had. So they, they worked on that for years and years. And now, now we know him, the way he looks like in the, in the theme parks now, but so yeah, he changed in the theme parks a lot uh, over the years. And, um, We also wanted to to cover Mickey Mouse as the influence fine artists, people like Andy Warhol and others. So there are examples of that. So I I basically put on the categories that I wanted to cover. And then I worked with the museum's team, and uh, uh, we worked out who would have what. Like The Disney family, for example, has a lot of vintage uh, merchandise Mm -hmm. that Diane uh, collected over the years. Um, And we actually had too much. So we couldn't show it all. And then the painful process starts. Okay, which ones do we have to take out? So this is the kind of stuff that you work out with the team and bring it down to a showable, sizable uh, amount. Uh, But this is all fun. You know, it it wasn't really work to do this show. It was all fun because it's all Mickey Mouse. How can it not be fun?
0: (laughs) I agree. I agree. There there are, there are a few things I wanted to highlight in some of the galleries just to give our listeners an idea of what's there and why they should go cuz I do believe this is a, a a destination exhibition. This is something that when you're planning your trips, you should put this on on your trip list to go. This is how good this exhibition is. Um the the, fir- the first gallery is really cool because you walk into a black and white world because it's all about the creation of the Mickey Mouse the early Mickey Mouse films, Playing Crazy, Galloping Gaucho, Steamboat Willie. What's amazing is is that there's original cells from the nineteen thirties in here that have managed to survive.
2: Yeah, so the interesting thing was that we found out that we knew quite a few collectors within the United States, but also worldwide who collect this kind of rare artwork. But the problem is how do you ship something like that? You know, you can't package this thing over and over again and it probably still arrives damaged. But luckily there are, there were some local co- collectors in San Francisco and the Bay area who had this kind of work. So, so then you can just send the driver and, and pick it up and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have to be shipped. So that's why these precious pieces actually were able to be, included in the exhibition
0: yeah and seeing a wall full of Ub Iwerks' original sketches is for anybody that is a fan of animation or mickey mouse or walt disney's animation that is amazing to see that
2: so yeah he was the guy you know him and walt started this whole thing out basically uh I mean, many of you know, know know the story that Walt had lost his uh, rights to his character Oswald, the Lucky Rabbit, and uh, he was in trouble. He needed something new to keep going, and so both of them came up with Mickey Mouse. And um, yeah, to even have original up drawings in there is just a real visual treat, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, this kind of stuff is so so rare. Uh, and we were so, so happy to, to have a few pieces like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's spectacular. Well, we ha- we're transitioning Mickey Mouse from his black and white days to his color days. So we are going to pick up with Andreas next week as we continue talking about the exhibition and Mickey's career. And we're going to transition to this week in Disney history. hey well Craig I am sort of continuing our summer of Disney theme parks here so yeah. for the week of July 21st it's all about Disney theme parks so because we we're, we're it's it's vacation time everybody's thinking about Disney theme parks so.
1: absolutely okay. the summer of love pizza and love Disney parks it's all
0: good <laughs> yeah. All right, um, unless you're at Disneyland's Toontown, <laughs> then, then then just duck. Probably shouldn't even be joking about that. Yeah, you know, I still, I am still amazed by that. It's so,
1: it's one of anyway. those things. It is disturbing. It it was disgusting. Oh, I, I will be honest though. Like I, you know how sometimes when you you watch something, you start. Like, you're so uncomfortable that you end up having the opposite reaction of what you wanted. Like, I, I flat out, like, I laughed at how how terrible it was. Like, just the sheer amount of how embarrassed that person should be that they are now plastered all over the internet doing that stuff. Like, it's, it's so disgusting. I just couldn't help but laugh at that person for the fact
0: that what? they ruined their
1: life with that.
0: Well, well, they weren't embarrassed because they denied it. <laughs> we didn't fight. I, I, have you been on the internet? Yeah. Uh, it just broke my heart because it just thinks you wonder what have those children witnessed? Because yeah. in their lives, their 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 little lives, I mean, uh, the, oh, I just felt so sad for them that this is what they're going to remember. Yep. Yeah. You know, from that trip to the happiest place on yeah, earth.
1: We, anyway. We'll try to forget it. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Anyway, so July 21st. At a July 21st, 1986 press conference on the Empress Lily at Downtown Disney Marketplace in Walt Disney World, Disney CEO Michael Eisner announces plans for a new edition. What will it be called? Uh, the fact that it took place on the
1: Empress Lily makes, makes me want to say that it was probably Pleasure Island. So why not announce something that's it right next was? door?
0: It was. It was Pleasure Island. And construction will begin on Pleasure Island in August and officially open in May 1989. I remember on our honeymoon, Carol and I walked right... They just let you walk right through the construction zone in those days. Because it was right (laughs) smack dab in the middle of downtown Disney. And so um, we just walked right through it, looking around, wondering what it would look like. Yeah. Not knowing we would be coming back many, many times. And Never did go into the Adventures Club, though. Yeah, well, God bless the internet now
1: that, you know, it's that's the reason why we have to hide every single construction site in everything that happens. Because got to keep all those secrets. Everyone wants to yeah. ruin it with the internet. But thanks for listening to yeah. us on it.
0: So... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um July 22nd. What Tomorrowland attraction opened at Disneyland on July 22nd, 1955?
1: Oh, um 1955. So so we're talking 5 days after the park opened. So what's something that just wasn't quite ready?
0: Day 1. <laughs> um almost the whole park. Yeah. <laughs> But in this particular instance. Uh
1: I don't, maybe the maybe the twenty thousand leagues exhibit?
0: No, um, no. But it was close by. Rocket to the moon presented by TWA. Um, yeah. It debuted. And of course this is a simulated ride to the moon, guests seated in a theater view. Their journey on screens. And, of course, there was an iconic rocket, the Moonlighter, right outside, towering over the show building. It was much larger than the smaller version that's outside of Red Rocket's pizza port. Uh, um, sorry, currently. you mean Alien Pizza Planet. Oh, that's right. I forgot they just changed it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that's
1: that's yeah. not changing back. Uh, but, yeah. hey, that's, a, that's for a whole another show but i can't believe they couldn't get projectors working properly to have that open on day one
0: for for movie people it seems like it'd be easy easy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i'm sure we landed on the moon to coincide you know with this yeah you know (laughs) (laughs) you know oh they'll always be around the same date the moon landing and the rocket to the moon opening yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) The anniversaries of those. So, all right. July 23rd, a smaller version of a popular Disneyland attraction opened on July 23rd, 1956. What was the name of this attraction?
1: I don't know too many attractions out there that had smaller versions of themselves. But uh, I, I do know at least, at least one because we've talked about... Uh, Talked about multiple versions. I'm going to say it was uh Junior Autopia.
0: You're right. It was
1: Junior Autopia. With Autopia. Yeah, Walt decided to
0: add. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Walt decided to add this attraction to fill the space previously occupied by the Mickey Mouse Club circus. So, since the original Utopia cars were a bit big for small children, the Junior Utopia cars had booster blocks on the gas pedals so they could drive. Uh, the cars used on both tracks, Utopia and Junior Utopia, were otherwise identical.
1: Well, I then once the sixties rolled around, then you just got you know your your platform shoes, and then you didn't need to worry about hitting the the gas pedal.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> okay, July twenty fourth. What area opened at Disneyland on July twenty fourth, nineteen sixty six? That's an easy one. That would be uh, New Orleans Square. Mm-hmm. That's right. New Orleans Square opened at Disneyland with a ceremony presided over by Walt Disney and the real mayor of New Orleans, Victor Shiro. This three-acre site, the first new-themed land added to Disneyland after its 1955 opening, has cost $18 million to build. Uh, New Orleans Square is the only land in Disneyland to debut without an attraction. Taking part in this day's dedication is the Firehouse 5 Plus 2, the Dixieland jazz band led by animator Ward Kimball, and Disneyland ambassador Connie Swanson. And you can see that on YouTube. They have the the yeah. whole dedication ceremonies there. I've watched it once so, or twice there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, July 25th, the Coral Isle Cafe, which has been opened at Walt Disney World's Polynesian Resort since October 1st, 1971, closed on July 25th, 1988. And after extensive renovations, it reopened on November 23rd, 1998 under a new name. What is the the name of this popular restaurant? And I have a feeling I... Got one of those dates wrong in there.
1: I well, I've never heard of Cora Isle Cafe, so mm-hmm. I I don't even have a guess. Like mm-hmm. I, I would have been traveling it's,
0: it during this time. Yeah, it's Kona Cafe. Oh, yeah, huh? And I think it opened November twenty third, nineteen eighty eight. Is what it should have been.
1: So. Okay. Yeah, I anyway. never. Yeah, I've never. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I. I know stuff changes names, but mm-hmm. I, I don't. I just never heard the name Coral Isle Cafe before. So, yeah, something new
0: for me. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. On July twenty sixth, writer, humorist, actor, and National Radio Hall of Famer Gene Shepard is born on July twenty sixth, nineteen twenty one, in Chicago, Illinois. What is his Disney connection? Besides the fact that Disney
1: wishes that they could have some involvement in a christmas story <laughs> haven't they bought that studio yet <laughs> uh, hopefully never so um but that was my uh, way of trying to distract myself while i'm thinking um uh, i i i got nothing honestly
0: Mm -hmm. he was the voice of the father in Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress Rex Allen the original voice of the father was replaced by Shepard in around 1994 when the carousel was updated to include the more modern era and of course like you said movie fans will recognize Shepard's voice as the narrator of the 1983 holiday classic A Christmas Story which he co-wrote and based on his own semi-autobiographical stories
1: Wait, so he's the voice that we hear today on it or just where's he there
0: during now is the time? Yeah, I think he was there during now is the time. Okay.
1: I'll have to so go back and I find videos. I don't, know. I don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah, cuz I know he was the narrator for quite a while.
1: Yeah. So, um I I mean even if it is still him to this day, it's just it, I don't think it's ever connected with me back then, I guess yeah. it
0: didn't connect with me either. <laughs> Yeah, and then Rex Allen of course was brought back as the grandfather mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was redone again. So and all that. So anyway, okay. All right, July twenty seventh, a musical group is recorded live at the Golden Horseshoe in Disneyland. Their performance the following day will also be recorded and eventually be released on Good Time Jazz Records. What is the name of this group? Um, I'm not sure sure. Mm. The Firehouse 5 Plus 2 This is a, a spare time Dixieland group Made up of writers, animators, producers And directors at the Walt Disney Studios Of course, led by Ward Kimball Okay Alrighty, so that is it for this week. Yikes. Tough week. Tough week. Yeah, yeah, it was. A lot of old, old history this week. So, but not too bad. Not great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Craig, I I enjoyed uh, hearing all about Andreas and his early start in Animation and what what led him to you know starting to work with Diane Disney Miller and all that on um, working on this this exhibit at the Walt Disney Family Museum, Mickey Mouse from Walt to the World, which is there now from until, you know, January 6th, 2020. So, and definitely, folks, if you're looking for a reason to come out to the Walt Disney Family Museum, seeing this exhibition would be a very good reason. There, There's art in here you will probably never see again. Mm. Um, especially because a lot of it is from Andreas's personal collection. There's a piece from um, Bob Iger's collection as well that's only there for a limited time. So, is it uh, his first dollar that he ever earned? As a joke. <laughs> right. That's his first that's, Disney that's dollar that he ever in, earned. For... That's probably in brass <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <not> bronzed. <laughs> or bronzed or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure so, no, he I actually
1: think... lit it on fire to like light up a cigar one night after buying Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. <laughs>
0: yeah, I believe it's the Damien Hurst piece. Yeah that that's there that we'll talk a little more about it next week yeah. but um and i think when bob Iger's damien hurst piece returns his collection there's another damien hurst piece that is replacing it from someone else's collection so that there'll always be a damien hurst piece there at the museum it's so. excellent okay okay Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you?
1: You can connect with me by watching any of the other shows that I'm on, on the Disunplugged podcast network. And then if you actually want to connect with me in a more realistic way, I guess not realistic way, uh, but a more immediate way that has the potential of me also connecting back, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael?
0: Well, you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. on Facebook, Michael Bowling, with the Connecting with Walt banner. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling, the Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. And, of course, you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter, at ConnectingWalt, our official Twitter page. And, of course, keep an eye out for more of my Disneyland history segments on the Diz Unplugged podcast, Disneyland Show. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studios, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives from my Disney history episodes at DisneylandPlug.com. And, of course, just go into our show notes, and you can find a link to those. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings.